All right, let's um, let's go ahead and start. People can come in as they as they mosey in. Mosey in—that's a good Southern word, isn't it? Mosey. Does everybody got a copy of this as you're as you're walking in? We are we're going to be recording these um, as well, so they'll be up on the podcast every week. You can you can uh, check those out. I don't want to talk very long because we, we we really want to jump into um, everything that's going to be said. So this class is called unceasing, why 24-7 night and day worship and prayer. And you guys are in for such a treat, um, and you're going to be encouraged. I know my prayer life has been affected dramatically from these truths and time in the prayer room. So we are literally... um, how many weeks away, maybe seven, seven weeks away from our official merge with them, IHOP Atlanta, that's going to introduce to us such a, such a current of just powerful prayer and intimacy with the Lord knowledge of the Father, and it's going to be so good for every single one of us. And um, I got to brag on the guy that's going to, that's going to be your teaching. Uh, I know you're supposed to like under-promise and over-deliver, but I'm going to over-promise and over-deliver. Is that Okay. To overpromise and overdeliver, um, you're going to love Stephen Eugen. He's going to come, and he is going. He's the assistant director of the IHOP House of Prayer. Been with Billy almost since the beginning, and um, just a great teacher. And I'm just going to pray over us that the Lord open our hearts, being just ready to receive everything that He has. Hope you got a copy of the notes, and just uh, let the Lord do some great things in your life as we're encouraged to uh, draw close to Him. So, Father, we just. Um, we just want to get right down to business today, Lord. We thank you that God, man, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth, Lord. And I thank you for Stephen this morning. Thank you for his gifting, his anointing to teach, Lord. And I pray, Lord, as he opens his mouth today, you would fill it. Lord, he would break the bread of life for us. And I know, Lord, we are going to eat really well this morning. We're going to eat really, really well and be encouraged in the things of the Lord today, God, to pursue you and to just know what it means, God, to walk in continual fellowship and relationship with you. So we put this hour before you. We, we open our hearts as wide as we can open them. We open our minds. We just say, Lord, we're hungry. We become like little children, Lord, just ready to receive from the Father's hand. So bless our brother and our ears and all that you're going to do, God, over the next four weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So Stephen, come and let's give Stephen a round of applause and welcome him on a sunny morning. Thanks. I appreciate that. All right. Let me just get settled up here. I don't see a clock, so I'm going to have my phone up here for a clock because... I don't want to just drone on and on and y'all fall asleep and miss the service or anything like that, right? And that'd probably be a bad thing. All right, so my name is Stephen Eugen, and I am happy to be here with you this morning. We are less than two months away from the merger, uh, and I'm extremely, extremely excited about that. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's an awesome, incredible, wonderful thing. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad that uh, we're doing that, and I'm glad that we have this opportunity, too, um, so that y'all can uh, get a little exposure if you're not familiar with the House of Prayer at all and what it's about and why it exists and all, all that sort of thing. Uh, that's what this class is about, to just allow you to, to hear that. Um, because the question often when people hear, you know, that there's a House of Prayer that does 24-7 live worship and prayer is, why would you want to do that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, why? And so that's, that's what this 
is about. Why 24-7? Why would we do that? Is there a biblical basis for it? And that's really what we're going to be looking at is the biblical basis for night and day worship and prayer. And um, so I'm just curious um, how, how familiar you are with, with the house of prayer. If, you know, if you've, you know, you've, you've been there and you know it backwards and forward to never even heard of it until we've heard there's a merger, there's probably that whole spectrum of people. So maybe let's put it, you know, know almost nothing about it, know a fair amount about it, and know lots about it. Let's just do those three groups. So you got to raise your hand once, okay? We're doing a poll. you got to raise your hand once, so you got to commit. All right, so either you feel like you're really familiar with the House of Prayer, been over there. All right, great. Um, moderate familiarity, all right, and know almost nothing about it. All right, so great. We, we do have a, a bit of a mix. Um, and so hopefully, uh, if you come to, we're going to do four sessions of, of this class. I'll probably do three of them, and we'll have one other uh, teacher come in probably this coming week. Um, but we'll have four sessions, and really four sessions is not enough to give all of the biblical basis and all of why we do what we do. It's only enough to, to scratch the surface. But hopefully if you come to all four sessions, you'll have at least a, a good framework for, oh, okay, this is, this is why this is going on. So um, what we're going to talk about today may seem like a, a strange place to start, but we're actually going to talk about the heavenly throne room. You probably knew that because it's at the top of your page, but that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And if it's all right with y'all, I'd like to pray just one more time before we begin. All right, Father, we thank you for this time, Lord, and we ask that you would come, that you would release in this place this spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, open our eyes to see you in a new way. Lord, we don't want to just have another teaching. We want to encounter you this morning. So we ask that you would come. We open ourselves up to you, Lord. Would you open up our hearts and our minds to you, our thoughts to you, Lord, our emotions to you, our soul to you. Lord, help us to hear you clearly and help us to fall more in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, great. So we are going to start here um, just on the top of page one with John in Revelation 4.1. And it says this, after this, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. So what's happening in context is John has been exiled to the island of Patmos, right? And he's basically there on the island of Patmos, not allowed to go anywhere else. And uh, and he's basically having his quiet time, right? And I don't know about you, but. To me, I think this is an awesome quiet time. <laughs> Can you imagine, right? You're in your quiet time. You're like stuck on an island, got nothing else to do. Well, I guess I'll pray. And you start to pray. And all of a sudden, there's a voice speaking to you, and it's Jesus, right? And then suddenly, the voice that's been speaking to you on the island is now coming from heaven, and there's a door open in heaven, and the voice is saying, come up here. And what I want to do is so often when we read the book of Revelation, it just becomes science fiction and fairy tale to us. Like we just read it like like it's a movie that we're watching or a fairy tale or something like that. But this really happened. Right. We have to remember this really happened. John really was on an island. He really was praying. A voice starts speaking to him. It's the resurrected Jesus in his glorified state. And John's overwhelmed. And then suddenly that voice is now coming from heaven and there's a door open in heaven. What does that even look like? What does it look like when there's a door open in heaven? You're on an island. What I mean, you're looking up in the sky, and there's a sky like usual, but then somehow there's a door into another realm, 
right? This really happened. And that's where I want us to get this morning, remembering that this really happened. And John's going to write all sorts of details describing what happened and the experience that he had. You know why the Holy Spirit had him record all of these details? So that we can see it, so that we can picture it. Right? So I want us to do that. I want us to do what the reason that it was written down was so that we'll actually stop and go, wait a minute, this is a real thing. This really happened. He's real. God really is trying to reveal things about himself through what John experienced and wrote down. He wants us to know these things. So I want us to go there. Like, let's, let's do the reason that the thing was written. Let's imagine this. There's, you're in your quiet time, and there's a door open in heaven, and there's a voice that says, come up here. And when I put myself in that situation, you know, maybe I'm sitting down on a rock on this island, and I'm praying, and now the, the, there's a door open in the heavens. I don't know how far away that feels, but when the voice says, come up here, you know what I'm thinking? Uh, I don't exactly know how to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> me, like, I don't know if you see my vertical leap, God, but it is not so impressive, and I know it's not getting me up there. There is no way. Like, I'm powerless, right? The voice says, come up here, but I'm powerless to come up there. But I sure want to go there, don't you? So that's the situation John is in. He is having an awesome quiet time, right? And then let's see what happens next. What's going to happen is he's being invited into the very throne room of God. Right? He's being invited into the very throne room of God. And let's look at what happens. So Revelation 4, verses 2 through 8. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of a jasper and a ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. All right. So this is what's going on. John's in his quiet time. The voice says, come up here. And again, if he was like me, he's like, yeah, I'd love to, but I have no idea how to do that. But then the answer comes, it says, at once I was in the spirit. And then he was there. It's like, I'm sitting on the rock one second, and the next I'm surrounded with glory, right? In the throne room of God. And one of the things that he sees is these four living creatures, and they're covered with eyes all around. It says even they've got these wings, and even underneath the wings there's eyes. Like everywhere, head to toe, bottom of the feet, everything they're covered with eyes all around. And then he describes, he gives their job description. Day and night, they never stop crying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm in church and there's that song that's got the chorus that repeats over and over again, I'm like, do we have to keep singing this chorus? You ever been there? You ever got tired of singing the chorus? Or maybe you turn on the, you know, the Christian radio station, the popular Christian radio station, and they've got like eight songs that they play you know, over a five-year period, they've played those eight songs, and that's it. You know, and you're like, can we please, please hear another song? I mean, that song was awesome eight years ago, 
but now they do actually release new songs, you know, and you can play those too. You ever had that feeling, you know, where you just, these guys, day and night, never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, you know, and I think one of the first times I read this, I was like, I'm kind of glad that's not my job description. <laughs> you know, I get, you know, I get, I get, you know, I get tired of the song that's on the radio after hearing it 10 times. And their job description is nonstop, over and over, day and night, unceasingly. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Ooh, maybe I want a different job. But what it was is I didn't realize what's going on. I didn't take the time to stop and go, no, this is a real encounter. Put myself in the position where John is there and what he's seeing. What is he seeing? What is he looking at? He's in the very throne room of the one who created everything. The one who's sustaining everything. The one who knows everything. The one who can do anything. He's in the throne room. And he looks on the throne, and there's one seated on the throne. It says he looks like a jasper. The other translations would say a jasper and a sardius, or a jasper and a carnelian. A ruby would be a, a, a somewhat equivalent. It's not the real word, but it's a red stone is the idea, right? But he, he, the one sitting on the throne looks like precious jewels is the point. What? What is that? Have you ever seen one that looks like precious jewels? This one who's seated on the throne, he looks like precious jewels. And it says there's an, a, a rainbow like an emerald surrounding the throne. What the heck is that? What is a rainbow like an emerald that surrounds the throne? And proceeding from the throne, there's a lightning, thunderings, rumbling, peals of thunder. Some of the translations say lightning, thunderings, and voices proceeding from the throne. I don't know about you. But one time we were at camp and we were loading up. There was a storm coming in and we were trying to load up the buses real quick before the storm came in. And suddenly it was pitch black. I mean, it was, you know, one of those storms where it's just black, black, black outside because this storm is coming in. And we're running to the bus and we have our, our bags in our hands and it's black, black, black. And all of a sudden, lightning struck right there. Because the light, all of a sudden it went from pitch black to blinding light. It was like I had x-ray vision is what it felt like. Because it was so bright. From black to so bright. And instantaneously, the exact same moment, the thunder struck. Because it was right there. Have you ever had that experience where it's so close, the lightning and thunder are at the same moment and everything shakes? That's coming from the throne in front of him. There's lightning and thunder coming from the throne. Can you imagine the glory and the wonder and the awe, the sense of majesty and terror that's going through John as he beholds that? These four living creatures, they're covered with eyes all around. And they're not saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come over and over and over again because it's written in their job description. They're saying it because they cannot hold it back. They cannot possibly hold it back. They're covered with eyes. They're sitting in the throne room of God. That, that tells us that always they're gazing on the beauty and glory and majesty of the Lord. And at the same time, they have a view of everything. From the throne room of God, you can see everything. And they're covered with eyes all around. And they're looking at everything there is on earth, below the earth, in the universe. And they're looking at God. And they're going... All of this compared to this, 
is nothing. And we need you to know. You've got to know this. We need all of creation to know this. He's holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That Lord, that word holy doesn't mean only pure and spotless. It does mean that. But beyond that, it means completely other than. It means completely other than. God is completely other than every other thing. There are basically two categories. There's that which is created, which is everything except God, and that which is uncreated. And there's only one in that category, God. The uncreated God of the universe is completely other than everything there else everything else there is and these ones who are covered with eyes all around know it better than anyone else they have a perspective that no one else has covered with eyes they see everything and they go no let me tell you there is none like him he is holy 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 and can you imagine being before that majesty the one that shines like a precious jewel and has lightning thunderings of voices proceeding from the throne this emerald rainbow and they're covered with eyes and can you imagine they're just like oh my goodness I just want to gaze on him he's beautiful he's glorious he's majestic but I can't even look anymore you know they and they, they cry out holy and they close their eyes I can't even look anymore and they're like oh but he's so beautiful. I've got to look, but I'm scared to look, but he's beautiful and he's overwhelming and I don't know if I can look. And so like they open up another eye and they're like, and as soon as the eye opens, they're like, holy, he's holy. I can't help but cry out he's holy. And they're like, oh, I can't look anymore. And they're like, oh, but I got to see him again. Oh, but I'm terrified to look at him again. But, oh, but I've got to see him again. And they open up another eye and they cry out, holy is the Lord God almighty. It is not a job description. They cannot help themselves. What is it like to be in the presence of everlasting burning? Of the one whose name is jealous jealousy. Of the one who holds all power. All power emanates from his throne. Not just all power in earth. All power in the universe and all of creation and beyond. Centered in the throne right there in the being of God. And they're there before. He is holy. Holy, holy, and they cannot help themselves but worship. We are now on the top of page two, I think. I hope your, pa- your pages line up with mine. Sometimes when my notes get printed by another computer, they don't. Is number four at the top of page two for you? All right, good. So that's what's going on when John gets gets swept up there. But the, the amazing thing is this is not just a one-time occurrence that the living creatures cry out for like one day, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's not just one day that John happened to be there and that's what they're doing. Because look at what happens here in Isaiah 6. We're going to be in Isaiah 6 verses 1 through 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, now obviously this isn't John writing anymore because this is way back in the time of Isaiah, right? So this is Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me! 
I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So, Isaiah sees the Lord, and he sees these living creatures, and when he sees these living creatures, what are they saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The exact same thing the living creatures are saying when John sees them, but guess what? We're separated by over 800 years. So it's not just one day they've been crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They always have been crying out, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. They always will be crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Not because they're forced to, not because they're made to, not because it's their job description, but because there is no other response. And you see, when Isaiah sees them, he actually has the same response of the living creatures. What does he say? Woe is me, I'm ruined because compared to him... Isaiah, the prophet, one of the most righteous men living on the planet at the time, he says, compared to him, man, I am a man of unclean lips. I'm ruined. He's like, I think I'm about to be destroyed. That's what he's saying. Like, I just saw this, this holy, holy, holy one, and compared to him, I should just be incinerated because he's so holy, and he falls down to worship. And the truth is this, that we will never exhaust the revelation of the holiness of God. We will never exhaust. If we were to cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, every time we got a revelation of his holiness from gazing on him, and we started today and went till the end of our lives, still at the end of our lives, there would be infinitely more to discover of his holiness than we've yet to discover. Infinitely more. That's what it means when we talk about that God is infinite, It means that we can stare at one aspect of him for our entire lives. We can stare at his holiness for our entire lives. And at the end of our life, there would be more that we do not know of his holiness than what we do. And not just a little bit more, but infinitely more. Infinitely more. Let's look at Revelation 4, 9 through 11. What happens... So now we're back in John's day, right? We're back 800 years after Isaiah. They're still crying out, holy, holy, holy. And that's just happened. The living creatures have cried that out. What's the response in heaven? Verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive Glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So this is interesting because it's telling us a response, but it's not telling us this is a one-time response. At one time, they fall down, they cast down their crowns and say, you're worthy. What's it say? It says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him on the throne. Well, how often is that happening? Non-stop over and over again, right? So it's not one time the elders, these 24 elders around the throne are going, oh, they're casting down their crowns and, and, and saying you're worthy. No, it's happening over and over and over again. What does that look like? Again, the elders, they're around the throne, they're surrounding the throne. They're staring at the uncreated God of the universe, just like the living creatures are. And every time the living creatures get overwhelmed and go, holy, holy, holy. These elders, they're sitting on the crown, on, on the, around the throne, on their thr- 
own thrones. So they got 24 thrones around the main throne. They're sitting on a throne, and they're wearing crowns on their head. Well, if you're in the throne room and you're sitting on the throne, who do you think put you on the throne? Right? God put you there. You're like, you didn't step in and go, I think I'll take this. I think this looks like a comfy seat. I think I'll sit down, right? That's not happening in the throne room of God. If they're on a throne in the throne room of God, it's because God placed them there, right? If you're wearing a crown in the presence of the king of all kings, who put the crown on your head? <laughs> right? God did. You didn't, you didn't like, oh, I like that crown. Maybe I'll take that one from you and put it on. My, that is not happening in the throne room of God, right? Can we agree that the thrones they're sitting on and the crowns on their, and the crowns on their head are because God placed them there, Right? So, but what's happening? They're sitting on these thrones. They've got crowns on their head. And like the living creatures, they're staring at this one. And the living creatures go, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're crying it out. And the revelation of his holiness and his glory and his majesty is hitting their hearts. And they're like, oh, my goodness. He is the king of all kings. He holds all power, all authority. Here I am sitting on a throne in the, in the presence of the one who holds all authority. I don't deserve to be on this throne. Only he should be on a throne. No other one should be on a throne except for him. I've got a crown on my head. He's the king of all kings. Man, I don't deserve a crown. Look at him. Who am I compared to him? Why do I have a crown on my head? And they're like, they take the crowns off of their head. They get down out of their thrones. They throw themselves on the ground, throw down the crowns, and they lay down face, face flat before him. And they, they go, he's worthy, he's worthy, he's worthy. The revelation of the worth of God, and they have no response but to cast down those crowns and fall down before him go only he is worthy I'm not worthy only he is worthy and then what happens they're lying face down on the ground and they're like oh my goodness do you know what I've just done I took the crown that he put on my head and I just threw it on the ground oh no wait a minute I thought I was doing the right way but but he put that crown on my head and, and he put me on the throne and now I'm am I acting like I'm not supposed to be where he put me wait wait he put me here I need to get back up there but if I get back up there then I, and I open my eyes, then I'm going to see him again. I'm just going to end up on my ground again. Like, what do I do? And they're probably, like, looking at each other. I, man, i got to see him again. And he's like, yeah, i got to see him again, too. But if I, if I see him again, if I, 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 I threw that on the crown. He gave me the crown. I should put it back on my head, right? And he's like, yeah, we should put it back on our heads. Yeah, but, well, well let's do it. Yeah, i got to see him. But we know we're going to end up just right back down here on the ground again, right? Yeah, we are. But i got to see him again. I've got to see him again. Okay, here we go. And they put it back on the crown. Holy, holy, holy. Oh, you're worthy. And they throw it down again. Repeat, 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 repeat. Not because they have to, but because he is so worthy. The worthiness of God. It's not, it's not a forced response. It's not a job description. It's it's. The response of the heart to the revelation of the worth and the holiness of God. That's what's going, going on. Number three at the top of page three. The revelation of the worth of God comes to them over and over again. As they gaze upon him, that word should be gaze, not gave. As they gaze upon him, it's as this. It's as if every time they look up, they're beholding a new facet of a diamond that has an infinite number of facets. That's what's going on. Like, how could they be overwhelmed over and over again? But have you ever, you ever looked at a really well-cut diamond, and you're like, wow, it's beautiful from this angle. And you turn it just a little bit, and you're like, wow, it's even more stunning from this angle. Oh, but look at that from this angle. Oh, my goodness. It's incredible. And every different facet, there's a different look to it. There's a new thing that you see in it, a new beauty that you see in it. 
And every time they look at God on the throne, for those 800 years that the living creatures have been doing it, the 24 elders, every time they look at him, they see a new facet of his glory, of his majesty, of his wonder, of his greatness, and of his worth. And they're overwhelmed. All right. So what we see in Revelation 4 is a glimpse into what's happening around the throne of God. And from this information, from what we've just seen in Revelation 4, there's several things that, that we can figure out from that. One, God is worthy of unceasing worship. Right? God is worthy of unceasing worship. Number two, a full revelation of God elicits unceasing worship. It's the natural response to the revelation of God. And I don't know if you ever stopped to think about this, but the word worship actually comes from worth-ship. Worth-ship. So true revelation, true worship is always birthed in a revelation of the worth of God. True worship is always birthed in a revelation of the worth of God because that's what worship is. It's worth-ship. It's a response to the worth of the one that you're worshiping. All right, so, full, so number one, God is worthy of unceasing worship. Number two, a full revelation of God elicits unceasing worship. Number three, God likes unceasing worship, right? I can guarantee you if God didn't like it, it would not be happening in his throne room, right? And the fact that it is happening in his throne room means he really, really, really likes it. Right? This is what's happening closest to him. Right? It's what he surrounded himself with. He really likes it. All right. Number four, God's will is that unceasing worship should take place. The throne room of God is the place where God's will is carried out to perfection. Can we agree with that? Yeah. Like in the, in the throne room of God, stuff ain't happening that he doesn't want happening. Right. If it's happening in the throne room, that's where his will is most manifest right there in the throne room of God. So what we know is that it is his will that unceasing worship take place. All right. Well, that's what's happening in the heavenly throne room. But what guess what Jesus taught us to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? So two things we learned from this. One, God's will is perfectly done in heaven, right? He's saying if he wants his will done on earth as it is in heaven, he's saying done, your will is done perfectly there, not so much here, right? The perfect will of God doesn't always happen here the way it does there, right? Human will and angels and demons at this moment are allowed to affect things on the earth in a way they cannot affect things in, in the throne room of God, right? And so... God's will is perfectly done in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray that in the same way it's done there, let it be done here. That's number one. Number two, God's will is that just as he is worshipped unceasingly in heaven, he would be worshipped unceasingly on earth. Right? If that's what's happening in the throne room of God, it's clearly the will of God for there to be unceasing worship and prayer. And Jesus said, Father, would you let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth, even as it's done in heaven, then it is the will of the Father for there to be unceasing worship on the earth. All right, and we're going to get more into this in, in future sessions of, of this class, but this is where the entire planet is headed. 
You may never stop to think about that, but the entire planet is headed towards everyone worshiping Jesus. And there will be on the planet unceasing worship around the throne of God on the planet. That's where everything's headed, right? I'm not talking about just this age. I'm talking about in the ages to come. That's where things are headed. All right, so it's clearly his will that there be unceasing worship on the earth. So when people ask the question to somebody at IHOP Atlanta, why would you do 24-7 worship? Like, why? And the answer is because he's worthy of unceasing worship. Why 24-7? Because he's worthy of it. He is worthy of it. All right. In fact, we, you know, we, we have these questions that we go through organizationally to figure out, okay, what are we doing and all that, and make sure that we're, everybody in our mission space is clear about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And the top question we ask is, why do we exist? Not why do humans exist, but why does IHOP Atlanta exist? Why does IHOP ex- Atlanta exist? And the answer to that question is to exalt the worth of Jesus 24-7, night and day, right? To exalt the worth of Jesus night and day. That's why we exist, because he's worthy of it, to exalt the worth of Jesus night and day. All right. So after seeing the father being worshipped unceasingly in Revelation 4, John is actually going to see the heavenly response to Jesus in Revelation 5. So the one on the throne in Revelation 4 is God the father. And we know that from what happens in Revelation 5 because Jesus is about to come up to the one sitting on the throne, right? So God is one, and yet the mystery of the Trinity, there are three persons in the Trinity, the Father and Son. And here we're actually seeing some of those distinctions that are there, you know, equal in power and glory. And yet at the same time, there's three distinct persons in the Trinity, and we're actually going to see interaction between the two. The Father is sitting on the throne, and Jesus is about to come up to him on the throne, okay? So that's what's about to happen. John's about to see it. Revelation 5. We're at the top of page 4. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. All right, right. so what John sees, he's seen the throne of the Father. He sees the Father sitting on the throne. He's seen the, the heavenly response to the one seated on the throne. And then he sees something beginning to take place in the throne room, and that is that the Father has in his hand a scroll, right? And the scroll has seals on it, you know, this, like the wax seals that they had in those, those days of John, you know, that they'd put the wax on it, and then they'd put their signet ring in it to seal it, and they'd say, nobody can open this. This is under the authority of the king. Only the person that I want to open this can open it. Nobody else is allowed to open it. That's what the seals meant. But the problem with, with this scroll and those seals is there was nobody who was worthy to open it. And John is troubled. He's troubled to the point that he begins to weep. He's like, this scroll is obviously important. It's in the hand of God. He's like, but nobody is worthy to open it. Nobody is worthy to open it. And it's like a search is made. They're like, hey, who can open this scroll? And they go, 
hey, are there any saints in the room that can, you know, open the scroll? Any, you know, maybe the you know, prophets of old, Isaiah, you here, can you open the scroll? Isaiah can't open the scroll. Jeremiah can't open the scroll. Job can't open the scroll. Moses can't open the scroll. None of the saints or prophets of old is worthy enough to open the scroll. And they're like, well, what about angels? Hey, any angels here that can open the scroll? All the angels are like, nope, we can't do it. What about archangels? We got some archangels here. Hey, hey, Gabriel, Michael, surely Gabriel or Michael is worthy to open the, the scroll, right? And they're like, no. They can't, they can't open the scroll. They can't even look inside. They can't even hold it up and look inside. They're not worthy. Ah, the 24 elders on the throne. Surely one of the 24 elders can open it. No, they're not worthy. The four living creatures? No, they're not worthy. No one is worthy to open the scroll. And John is overcome. He's weeping with grief. How can it be that no one is worthy? Like, this is an important thing. It's sitting in the, the, in the hand of God. How can it be that there's no one to open it? And then someone says, don't weep, John. It's okay. Look, there's one who is worthy. There's only one who is worthy. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the root of David. Who's he talking about? Jesus, right? So now we're, we're about to see Jesus. He's the only one who is worthy. In all of heaven, all of earth, all of creation, the earthly realm, the heavenly realm, the only one worthy is Jesus. And he goes on to say this in verse 6. Then I saw a lamb standing at the center of the throne. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat, sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. So what's just happened? There has been a revelation of the worth of Jesus. You see that? No one was worthy in all of creation except for this one. Only Jesus is worthy. And the immediate response to the revelation of the worth of Jesus was what? Falling down in worship. The immediate response to revelation of the worth of Jesus is falling down in worship. All right, the rest of the verse then is going to reveal another aspect of what's happening in the throne room. Right, so we saw this worship that's happening in the throne room nonstop, but let's, let's go on and see what else is happening there. Verses 8 through 12 of chapter 5. And when he had taken it, that's the scroll in the right hand of the Father, so now Jesus has the scroll. It says, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God men from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. All right. So, again, in response to the revelation of the worth of Jesus, we see worship, right? Immediate worship. And then in the midst of that, we see something else going on. We, we see, it says, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense. So they've got harp, 
and they've got a bowl, correct? They're holding a harp and a bowl. Now, if you're in heaven and you've got a harp, what do you think that represents? It's music, but what kind of music do you think it is? Probably worship music, right? If you're in the throne room of God, I'm thinking that they're not playing the latest secular hit, right? There, that represents worship. And actually, we figure that out because they're about to start singing, right? They're about to start singing a worship song. So the harp represents worship. The bowl, we don't have to guess what it represents because it tells us straight up, right? It says the bowl is full of incense. Oh, what could that possibly represent? Well, he tells us it is the prayers of the saints, right? The prayers of the saints. So there's two things always present around the throne of God. There's worship and there's prayer. Worship and prayer always before the throne of God. The harp and the bowl are right there. The 24 elders, the four living creatures are right there around the throne. And there is always before the throne worship and prayer unceasingly. The harp is worship, the bowl, prayers of the saints. And one of the things that's interesting about this is that unlike it often is here on earth, in heaven, the worship ministry and the prayer ministry are combined together. They're combined together. And this, I don't know how long y'all have been in the church, but, but my experience with, with church and having looked around at this for a while and my personal experience growing up in, uh, in the church after I got saved was that you got the people who do the worship ministry and you got the people who do the prayer ministry, right? And often there's no, no um, combination of the two. And actually there's often resistance to combining the two. Let me say it like this. So kind of my, my own experience is um, I was a worship guy. And if you want to do a worship event, awesome, I'm there. But if you want to do a prayer event, no, that's for the prayer people. The prayer people do the prayer thing. I'll do the worship thing. I love worship. Worship's awesome. Prayer, not so much. You know, I, I really don't care so much about Aunt Sally's bunions and praying for them. So, I mean, that's great. If y'all want to get together and pray for Aunt Sally's bunions, but I'd rather worship. Right? And then on the other side, the prayer people are like, hey, you want to come to our prayer thing, but don't bring your guitar because this is a serious prayer meeting. We're not doing the fluffy stuff. We're doing some real spiritual warfare. We are going to pray. This is rock pile prayer. We're going to pray, pray, pray. Don't bring your guitar. Don't, you know, don't bring your iPod. We're not doing the worship thing. No, this is prayer. You do worship on your own time. That's awesome. But we need to do some serious praying here. There's praying to be done. Let's pray. Right? And so there's, there's this separation between the prayer ministry and the worship ministry. But what's going on in the heavenly throne room is that they're combined together. There's worship and prayer combined together before the throne. And so this, this passage is actually where we get the term for what we do at the house of prayer when we're on the platform. We call it harp and bowl, which, which is combining worship and prayer together. And just to clarify, when we call what we're doing harp and bowl, we are not in any way, shape, or form saying that what we're doing is the same thing that's happening in the throne room. We understand what we do is so weak and frail. What we're saying is we're just trying our best to put worship and prayer together because we know that's happening in the throne room, and we know we're not doing it like they're doing it, and they do it awesome, and we're so weak and frail, and we're just putting in our best. But we are going to try to, to, to combine worship and prayer together like is happening in the throne room because we know that's happening in the throne room. We don't know exactly how it works there, and we know we can't do it as well as they do, but we're going to try that. We're going to combine worship and prayer together. And so when we say harp and bowl, that's what we're referring to. Harp and bowl is what's always happening on our platform. It's a combination of worship and prayer going together. All right. So I want to give you uh, just a, a little bit of my story. Um, I think it's nice when somebody's you know, teaching to kind of know who they are a little bit about them. Um, 
but it applies to, to this right here, this, this whole thing, because it's the reason that I'm in the role that I'm in today at the House of Prayer has to do with harp and bowl. So um, my background is that um, when I was in second grade, I decided I wanted to be a veterinarian, right? Lots of kids decide they want to be a veterinarian when they're little, right? Firemen or veterinarian, that's a, a common one. But I decided in second grade that I wanted to be a veterinarian. I decided in fifth grade that I was going to go to the University of Georgia Vet School and become a veterinarian. And so that's actually the path I took. And I, I um, went to the University of Georgia for undergraduate school, went to the University of Georgia for vet school, graduated as a veterinarian, and then went into to practice as a veterinarian, worked for um, somebody else as a veterinarian on the south side of Atlanta. So um, uh, lived in the McDonough area and worked at an animal hospital there. And then um, after a season of doing that, well, and in that season, I, uh, I had done worship I've uh, been on the worship team in college, and so uh, moving to the south side of Atlanta, the McNana area, got involved in a church there and got involved with the worship team. Um, so I was on doing worship there, and then um, somewhere in there, the, the worship leader left, and they knew that I could play guitar and sing, so they're like, hey, Stephen, would you fill in as worship leader until we can find somebody? And so I said, yes, I'll fill in until you can find somebody. So I filled in for the next 10 years while they did a diligent search for a worship leader, and... Uh, I kind of got the feeling they weren't looking real hard, but I did fill in for the next 10 years. Um, and uh, over the course of time, uh, decided to build my own animal hospital. So uh, built my own animal hospital, um, ended up building my dream home in the golf course country club, all of that. So life's good, you know, got my own animal hospital, dream home. And on the side, I'm leading worship at this local church until they can find somebody. Um, so... In the midst of that, um, this couple, a new couple comes to the church, and the guy uh, comes up to me, and he gets involved with the worship team, and uh, he, he brings me this videotape. If you all know what those are, VCR tapes, right? So most of you might know what they are. Some of you might not, but it's actually like kind of like a DVD, but not as cool. And uh, so it's a videotape that was released from the House of Prayer in Kansas City, and he's like, they're doing this new thing in Kansas City. And it's called Harp and Bowl. They're combining worship and prayer together. And he says, I think we should do it. We should watch this video, and we should get our worship team to do it. And my response was just like what I told you. If it's a worship thing, awesome. But if it's a prayer thing, I don't want to do it. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. So, but for some reason, he talked me into it, and I agreed to get the worship team together, and we'd watch this video and decide if it was something that we wanted to do. And so we put in the video, and the video is of a Harp and Bowl clinic that they were doing this is like the very first thing released out of kansas city it's very early days and they're basically they've got a couple people teaching of how we combine worship and prayer together and then to demonstrate they're calling up random people from the audience right well they didn't do auditions before they call people up it's random people from the audience and they're saying sing this bible verse and these people have never sung a bible verse and some of them i don't think had ever even sung before maybe except in the shower and so Needless to say, it was terrible. I mean, it sounded, it was just, it was awful. It sounded bad. And so we watched the whole thing. And the guy afterward, he's like, so what do you think? Are we going to do it? And I was like, I think it was terrible. I think it was awful. Like, why would we want to do that? It was, it sounded terrible. I don't, I didn't like it at all. Why would we do that? And I'm telling you to this day, I have no idea why, but I said, but we'll try it. I haven't, I, I honestly don't know why, because the video was not good. And that was the extent of my training in Harp and Bowl. And we started a two-hour prayer meeting, and it went on for years and years and years. We started this two-hour prayer meeting doing Harp and Bowl, or what I, my, my idea of Harp and Bowl based on this, you know, 
30-minute video. Um, that was the extent of my training, and we started doing this, this prayer meeting. And what I found out was as we started doing it, and there was, there's worship in it, which I loved, right? And then there was some prayer in it, which I found out when we throw the worship in there, I can actually tolerate the prayer. Like, I can do the two-hour prayer meeting. As long as we can have some worship in there, I can tolerate the prayer, you know? And then as we kept doing it, I was like, wait a minute, you know what? This prayer thing's even, it's actually a little bit more than tolerable. It's like, oh, yeah, it's okay, it's okay. And then as we went on and did it a little bit longer, I was like, it's more, prayer's more than okay. This is actually enjoyable. Like, I actually enjoy these two-hour prayer meetings, even though there's prayer happening in the midst of the worship. I actually enjoy it. And then I came to realize over time, you know, actually, probably we're all supposed to be praying. You know, I probably avoided those verses a little bit in the Bible, but there's quite a few verses, like the one that says, pray without ceasing. But we're probably supposed to pray, you know, it's probably a good thing. And then as I look at it more, I'm like, oh, Jesus is actually forever living to make intercession. He is an intercessor forever and does it all the time. And if we're supposed to be like him, oh, probably we're all supposed to be intercessors, aren't we? But that's how I got here through this. The, the combining of worship and prayer together got me to that point. And so the same guy who brought the videotape later moves to Kansas City for a short season, invites a group of guys up to come visit the prayer room. I'd never been there. Um, so I go visit the prayer room and uh, sit down in this dumpy little room. I mean, at this time, I knew people were coming all over from all over the world to go to this little prayer room. And I get there and I'm like, they're coming all over for this I mean this is a this room is a mansion compared to the prayer room in the day it was in three like modular buildings that were pushed together gravel parking lot I'm pulling up gravel parking lot I'm like people come from all over to go to this you've got to be kidding me and we get inside and the director of the house of prayer there he, he thought he had this genius idea that well people are going to be wanting to kneel down on the on the floor and stuff so it needs to be really comfortable so what we're going to do is we're going to put wrestling mats under the carpet to make it nice and cushiony so there were wrestling mats under the carpet, which might seem like a good idea until you realize that carpet seams don't stay together so well when there's that much cushioning. So the carpet seams had come apart, but they, they fixed that with duct tape, so it was okay. So, so I'm in this, chair, this plastic chair in this tiny room in this dumpy building with duct tape on the carpeting. And I'm like, why would people come here? Until I open my Bible and the worship music's going, I open my Bible, and the words start jumping off the page, and Revelation starts hitting my heart, and I'm like, what is going on in this dumpy little room? There is something happening in this dumpy little room, and what it is is they've been praying nonstop, wisdom of Revelation, wisdom and Revelation, spirit of wisdom and Revelation, the knowledge of God, come, spirit of, release the spirit of wisdom Revelation, the knowledge of God, and I open my Bible, and it happened, and it hit my heart, and the Lord began to speak, and the first thing I heard was radical change. And I was like, hmm, I wonder what that means. And over the course of that long weekend, uh, what I believe the Lord was saying was, sell your house, sell your practice, and move to Kansas City for training for full-time ministry. And I was like, okay, Lord, in my book, that, that, that qualifies as radical change for me. Okay, that's a good word for, for me uh, to describe it. And so obviously there's a long version of the story, but the short version is that's what ended up happening. Sold the house, sold the practice, moved to Kansas City for training for full-time ministry, but had no idea what that meant. It could mean go train for, I heard six months to a year, go train for six months to a year, then move back to Atlanta, be a veterinarian, and once you retire, go into full-time ministry. I had no idea what it meant. But after getting into that environment, 
And uh, at one point, I was kind of floundering a little bit, and I was like, what do I do? What do I do? And somebody told me, why don't you just spend 50 hours a week in the prayer room? I was like, okay. So, so I started spending 50 hours a week in the prayer room, and at that point, it all made sense. It all came together because that revelation just kept coming and kept coming and kept, kept coming. And I was like, oh, my goodness, there's value in this. 24-7 live worship and prayer, there's value in this. And I, I came to realize this is what I was made for. This is what I was created for. This is what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life. 24-7 worship and prayer, missions-based, but not in Kansas City because Kansas City is boring. I don't like Kansas City. It's really hot in the summer, really cold in the winter. There's snow, heat, humidity, all that stuff. It's boring. It's just dull. I want to be back in Atlanta. But then I'm like, Lord, you tricked me. You trapped me because there's not one in Atlanta. There, there is no house of prayer in Atlanta, but that's what I want, 24-7 missions base. The only one is right here in Kansas City, but I'm, this is what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not supposed to do it there. I'm supposed to do it there. Help. What am I supposed to do? And soon after that, when I was in that place of, oh, what's going to happen, a guy comes up to me and goes, hey, I know you want to be back in Atlanta at a house of prayer. Well, there's a guy that's moving his family up from Atlanta, and they're going to train, and then they're going to go back and plan a house of prayer in Atlanta. His name's Billy Humphrey, and he and his family are coming up to train, and then they're going to go back, and it looks like the real deal. This looks like the legitimate thing. And I was like, all right, I want to meet him. So as soon as Billy and Mary Beth and their family got to uh, Kansas City, I met with them, and the Lord connected our hearts together immediately. And, uh, and I said, I'm in. Whatever you want me to do, I will help. I knew that I was not the guy to start a house of prayer. I knew that wasn't me. So that's why I was like, Lord, tricked me. You trapped me because I know I'm not going to do it. Well, once there was the guy that's clearly the guy to do it, I'm like, I'm on board. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And so we moved back, um, ended up in Kansas City for almost two years, and then moved back to Atlanta in 2004 to help plant the house of prayer. And that's what we've been doing ever since. But it's this idea of the worth of Jesus, worship and prayer combined together. And, and to me, like, why would I sell my house? Why would I, you know, sell my practice? Why would I move to Kansas City for training? Because he's worth it. And just I look back on my life, and, get, and if the question is, you know, people ask me all the time, do you miss being a veterinarian? Because, like I said, second grade, that's when I decided it's what I wanted to do. It was my passion. I loved it. It's not like I decided I hate being a veterinarian. I wanted to do something else. No, I loved it. You get to do medicine, surgery, be with people, be with animals. It's, it's a wonderful job. It's a great job. I loved it. I didn't quit because I hated it, but I quit because the Lord called me to do that. And now looking back and people go, do you miss being a veterinarian? I haven't missed it a single day. Not a single day. I loved it, but I haven't missed it because he's so worth this. He's so worth it. All right. We are going to, to wrap up. What I've put in your notes under uh, Roman numeral three, the heavenly pattern, is just other places where you, res- you see the response. You know, there's, there's God being revealed and how the heavenly response works. Guess what it always is? You probably know the answer. It's always worship. It's always worship. And you can go back and read those. But that's what's happening in heaven. And remember... The prayer of Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would we do 24-7 worship and prayer? Because it's the Father's will? Because he likes it? Because that's the way the planet is headed? We're all headed there? So we can just jump into it now where the whole planet's going to end up in a minute anyway? And most of all, because he's worth it. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the greatness of who you are, for your majesty, your splendor, 
Lord, would you give us a fresh revelation of your worth? The worthiness of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Lord, help our hearts respond accordingly with worship before you. Lord, let a fresh revelation of you release worship in our hearts. Even as we go into to the service, Lord, let us worship you in spirit and in truth. Not just rotely singing words from a screen, Lord, but hearts connected with a revelation of your worth. Giving you the honor and glory that you're due. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.